happy Wednesday. You are rocking with Jill Monroe on RSVP with Jill Monroe right here live on KBLA Talk 1580. I hope you are relaxed, strapped in. As always, we have a great deal to discuss tonight. I hope you're ready to go get your snacks, go get your libations, because we are about to get into some things. You know, we talked a bit last night about one of our topics that we're going to get to later, but I just want to kind of preface it with, you never want to have to say, yeah, I kind of told you so. You never want to have to say, wow, I had to question a sister and it's hard enough because people don't always believe in us. They don't take our word for granted. They, you know, tend to not value us as much. And so we saw a response. We saw what ended up being the outcome of said response. And of course, we're going to get into it with all the hot topics because that is what we do on RSVP. We bring you all the headlines, all the trending topics in entertainment, sports, culture, and lifestyle. And we're going to touch on all four tonight because that's what we do, VIPs. So let me get you ready for the night. Let me set the agenda for you. We're going to talk about Carly. And the press conference that took place today, what's sort of going on with her, where we're at. We're going to get into Carly Russell's story, according to the police in Alabama. We're also going to discuss John Amos. We have an update for him and the story that we've been following regarding the elder abuse accusations and the infighting within his family. We're going to discuss why Egyptian authorities are suing Travis Scott. This one's pretty interesting. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about Shannon Sharp and where we think his next move is coming. We have an interesting interview tidbit with Issa Rae. And it involved Issa and some other actresses. And they were kind of questioning her about some things in reference to her. A sort of trending topic. not a trending topic thing, but, uh, you know, who knows you best, get to know you sort of segment. We're going to get into that. And, of course, later in the 11th hour, you know, after hours, VIP, Velvet Rope, don't talk about it, be about it. We have Trent the Artist here, so we're going to get into our Tubi reviews. We got some suggestions last week. We have checked some of those out, so we're going to talk about those. But in the meantime, we have a couple of conversation starters. Now, we know that the the SAG after strike is going on, and Monique has decided to weigh in with her comments about the strike. Now, we know Monique has had her struggles with the Hollywood machine. She's come up against some titans, and she even sued Netflix. So now Monique is speaking out about the strike. She says on her Instagram, folks keep asking me how I feel about the strike. As you can see from above, and she showed a bunch of varied clips of her throughout the past few years discussing why she got labeled difficult, why um, why she was told no, things of that nature in this clip that she put this caption on. She said, I've been verbally striking for years. But some of my brothers and sisters, as the video shows, which includes Steve Harvey, who was included in this particular compilation of interviews and videos, have been striking me down for years. But yes, I support the WGAs and the SAG-AFTRA. That's why Countess Vaughn and I filed a lawsuit to get our money from the Parkers. I love us for real. So Monique is saying that the same things that she was fighting for and talking about in her situation with Netflix 
are being applied to what is happening with the SAG after a lawsuit. She said inequality is devastating and it's extreme and that basically she did nothing wrong, but there was no one strong enough or confident enough to defend her in real time. That's what she said. And basically she's coming for her money from residuals from the Parkers. You know, it's interesting because I agree and disagree with Monique. I think that she did have some points. I think that we are kind of bending and reshaping history at this point in time, maybe to fit the narrative. I'm not mad that she's getting her money. I never was mad that she stood up for herself. I may have questioned some of the things that she wanted the general public to do as a reaction in support of her. I may have questioned some of her methods, but I didn't feel she was wrong in standing up for herself. However, I don't know if the two were necessarily equal. I mean, standing up for yourself is standing up for yourself. But, you know, I don't know. I love Monique for real. So I'm always happy that we see black women doing well, especially our legends. But I don't know if I make the comparison. Um, Really quick, I want to tell you some things that we spotted, conversation starters that we spotted around that we may get into at another time. But just to share with you, I don't know if you spotted Kendrick Lamar doing a jailhouse workout on Instagram. It was a little calisthenics and he was doing it to confunction, I believe, you know, deep cut. You got to know your music to recognize what he was doing. He was out in the yard. It was basic push ups, sit ups, pull ups. Maybe Kendrick's got something coming for us and he's getting ready, but it was out there. Go check out his Instagram if you want to look. There also was another spotting actress, Megan Good, and her new boo, Jonathan Majors, were at Disneyland. They were spotted, booed up, little kiss, little public displays of affection. So that relationship seems to be going strong. And, you know, we wish Megan and Jonathan well, and we're waiting to see the outcome of that. But... That's what's happening around. So when we come forward, we're going to introduce you to our guest of the evening, Dr. Ayana Davis. She is an L.A. Unified principal. She is a board member with the Compton Unified School District. And we're going to talk to her about some of the challenges that are facing black women in education today. We also, as I mentioned, have Trent the Artist with us, our contributor every Wednesday. So, you know, we're going to get into some trending headlines and topics with him and everything that I've listed, all that and more. You are listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, keeping you informed, entertained, and always ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve. Hey. This is RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, you are checking out RSVP on KBLA Talk 1580 with Jill Monroe. Now, before we get into tonight's show... If you want to check us out, you know you have to follow us on social media because we like to connect. KBLA 1580 everywhere. Me, I'm at Stiletto Jill. Make sure you hit the follow button. If you want to call in, if there's a topic that moves you, you have an opinion, please feel free to join the conversation, 820-920-1580. And if you have to run out in between, download the app and take us with you. You know that's the thing to do, and you can listen to all of the other shows anytime you like. You can also leave a message if you want to. It's all lit. Also, lastly, if you like YouTube... Check us out live streaming on the chat. You can see all of our beautiful faces. You can jump in the chat. It's always going down in there. So make sure you connect with us on one of those avenues. Now, coming up, our first guest of the evening, as I mentioned, is Dr. Ayana Davis. Dr. Davis is an L.A. Unified principal. She has been in 
an administrator in the field of education for 25 years, and she's had 30 years experience. She is from LA, a native from Compton. Compton. Let me correct that. Let me not mess that up because the CPT is strong. Dr. Ayana is from Compton, and she believes in giving back. She started her um, career off in early education with a project on developing education models for young boys, but she is here today. We're going to discuss the challenges that are facing black women currently in education. You know, there's been changes. We've heard discussions around CRT, what is and isn't appropriate to be brought forth in schools, and the problem with some of these situations is that black women deal with microaggressions that are not always readily seen when we're just looking on the surface. So we're going to have a conversation around that and sort of what she sees as areas not just of concern, but areas where we're improving and where there are things that we are shining that we're overlooked at. So welcome Dr. Ariana Davis to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Into the Thank you for having me here. And I just have to say, being in this setting gives me such warm and fuzzy feelings. When I was in middle school and high school, I was the voice in the morning. I would say, good morning, Curtis and Banning Pilots. This is Ayana Davis bringing you the news bulletin for today. So it just gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling in here. So you're running it back. Okay, okay. Shout <laughs> out to all back. the Banning Pilots. You know, Carson Native, stand up. I want to know when she graduated. When you, what year did you graduate? Hey, hey, hey. hey. Can you write on No, because it it's a connection. Just write on a piece of paper I sure for will. me. That's okay. All. Well, That's all. <laughs> it's a connection. It's a connection. You know, 2013. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You know, somewhere mixed in there, you, right. you know, you went back, came forward and got into education. So tell me first, what was your decision? What made you decide when you were coming up that I want to get into education? I come from a family of educators, but I had intentions on going to law school. I went to USC, graduated in the political science department, specialized or had an area of focus of cultural diversity and law. And at that time, there was a big push to hire emergency credential teachers. So I applied, and that's how I got into teaching. Loved it, fell in love with specifically working with first graders and kindergartners, and then it moved me to really study the child development ages. And I landed my career in the administration there. So how I'm marrying the two, the political science and the um, the passion for education, is um, I felt a charge to speak out and stand up for myself, for one. Kind of like Monique, I was that person that was perceived to be the angry black principal mm -hmm. when I saw things that were happening to myself or to other colleagues. And, of course, some people, um, they feel afraid to stand out and stand up because it is often perceived to be aggressive and misunderstood. So... That's how I landed there. So over your years working in education, specifically in this area, how have you seen things change as far as being a black woman and stepping to education and what the opportunities are for us, especially within Compton and Los Angeles, because the dynamic, the racial dynamic of the area has changed over the years. So you're right. So at the, in, uh, in California, of course, we do see there has been a change in with the demographics with students and with employees. Across the nation, black women are still in the forefront of leadership positions. 
um, school leaderships. We're seeing an increase in superintendents of women, black women. And what's happening, I'm learning, is that we're silent about some of the mistreatment that we're experiencing, especially in the higher education um, field. We um, we very we're very attacked and unnoticed. It's almost acceptable. And we are now speaking up and speaking out and talking to one another. Years we felt isolated and it was just embarrassing to admit that I'm suffering on the job, that I feel like I'm in a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples of the type of experiences or behaviors that, you know, now you guys are coming together and sort of sharing with each other, comparing notes, so to speak, but maybe at one point in time, women weren't as, you know. Here's an example. One sister friend of mine, a soror, dark skinned, was in a state, Mississippi, and her being assertive, she's in a, in a higher role, administrative role on a co- collegiate campus. And she's over like student, just say student government, was over student government. So for her to give directives or even student discipline for misbehavior, let's say hazing, this is for an example. And she makes decisions that a child, a student may need to be um, expelled for a semester because of, I believe, her demeanor, her being a black woman, her being a large, for the most part, um, according to European standards, black woman, she was perceived to be angry and aggressive, although she was being assertive and she was making the students adhere to policy. So they never discussed the policy that the, the student broke or violated. It was that because of her tone, the student perceived that she was being attacked, although this student was in the wrong. So as you have, you know, seen these situations develop, you see the instances where there's a clear bias or an unfair treatment. What type of coping mechanisms or suggestions have you put together or or do you suggest like if a young mentor that you met through, you know, some of your work or through your board um, position ask you how would they handle it? What type of advice do you give to them for those situations? You know, there is a thing that we talk about in our culture. I don't know if it's the same everywhere else, but, you know, coding. Yeah. And speaking the language code and code switching, learning the tone, learning your demeanor. You know, unfortunately, sometimes we have to stage ourselves, have witnesses with us when we have these conversations with others. And, you know, prayer. And we have to stick together and we have to know that it's not okay. And we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves because we harbor so many, you know, anxieties about this. I can speak for myself and have sleepless nights. Behind, and here and here's a good example when you ask for an, a good example colleagues of ours of mine we were at a retirement celebration and we all have doctorate degrees black women and our administrator was making a joke and said hey you know we call the black doctors in this area dr jekyll dr high dr lector like hannibal lector that's the serial killer but to make a joke of us mockery and we're all professional black women you know, who've gone through great extinct to achieve and, you know, become scholars. Like I'm a California distinguished honor. I've never had less than a 3.9 degree. So to be ridiculed or mocked and compare me to Dr. Lecter, 
Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Hyde as a joke, as a pun of a joke, maybe, or maybe that was just really, really how he thought about us. So they get a lot of people get away with it because the people don't know what's happening to black women in education. So when you mentioned coding sort of as a strategy, code switching, what type of responses do you get to that? Because there's one mind of thinking that I shouldn't have to shrink myself or change myself in any environment to make things easier, which of course we understand wanting to be authentic. But then there's the other mindset that it's strategy. It is a way to move through. It, it You take a position in anything and you move it around and because change comes from within. You can't make any changes sort of if you're not involved. So what do you handle, how do you handle the conversations that may, came up, that may come up in regards to that? So this is my heart truth. And there is a sister out there, Dr. Kimani, who's, she has this big movement about leaving the toxic work environments. We may just have to create our own jobs. It is hard to say this, but if you're in the world and we have to play by those in Rome, we have to do what the Romans do. So either you have to survive and learn how to play those by those rules and learn the cultural models or the cultural settings that's based upon us when we even get to these places or we have to create our own workspaces. I agree with that. So for you, okay, so that's level one. What are the other challenges that you feel are most sort of grabbing your attention as far as higher education and black women that are things that they have to overcome or have changed sort of in the last 10 to 15 years as we've seen changes in society and in our government structure happen? Be, okay, I'm not on the higher ed campus, but what I notice is that we are, I do see a tendency that we're in places now where we are pulling one another up. You know, I do know um, several of my colleagues who are in K through 12 education and in higher ed, I believe they're looking out for one another and that they're reaching and pulling. And that to me is the most due diligence that we can do for one another and not get in a place and space and say, hey, I made it. And now you figure out how to get there. Right. Just mm -hmm. leave it behind. You got to leave a path. So you also mentioned the microaggressions that these women face. How does that in turn impact the students that they're teaching, especially the young girls? Does it have an impact? Do they recognize that? Because I'm sure if they're doing it with the teachers and the staff and the administrators, they're also trickling that down to the students. So how do you sort of balance that and help them, you know, keep their self-esteem and worth? So morale, I, I do think that motivation and having emotional stress severely impacts your job performance. Who can work in an environment where you know you're not valued? So you function, you manage every day, you, you do what you're supposed to do every day, but how passionate you are to come to work and how passionate one is to do her best job because she's already so beaten down or just sleepless nights or not feeling that she's um, healthy emotionally and mentally. I know, like as a school leader, how much am I able to give to my teachers with professional development? How much am I able to give them critical and strategic and timely feedback if I'm harboring ill feelings about me being on this job? You know, it, so it, it adversely, it definitely uh, impacts student achievement and student growth. What is something that you are proud of or that you've seen change during your time in education from when you started to now? I am noticing because over the years, 
the student, the black student trajectory has always been that our students have been persistently falling behind. And this is nationwide. So I do notice that there are uh, efforts and money funding in place for student, for black student achievement. I'm proud of that. And I do think that what's happening with this model, especially I, I see a lot of growth in Compton Unified, where I sit as the vice president of the board in, in LA Unified, there have uh, really poured in a lot of funding to support student, black students in as early as preschool. So I'm very proud of that. And I do know that we're changing the environments where it's culturally um, responsive and we're making the, the environment where it's a, a safe place for students of color to navigate through. I think that's what's working. I believe that's working. We love to hear that. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you as mm -hmm. an educator. The other night we talked about on this, our show, there is an artist named Sexy Red. And her song is, you know, mm -hmm. it's spicy, right? It's what it is. And so she went back to her old high school. She's 25. Mm -hmm. And it's summertime, so I'm not sure what was happening there. But some people were upset because I, she didn't perform. But the kids mobbed her. They were singing her lyrics. Like I said, it's they're, they're spicy lyrics. What are your thoughts on those type of artists being, you know, during school functions, those type of things happening as a reward or as encouragement? Do you think that it is bad practice? Is there ever a time for it? What are kind of your thoughts around I've, these new artists? I think you bring parents in on this conversation. I believe these are conversations that you as parents and, and teachers and principals get together and say, hey, what are our boundaries? What are you accepting? Because, you know, if you're playing at home, are you is it OK for us to play it in the school environment? I do know what kind of impact it does have on children, especially young girls. There was a time where, you know, this stripper popular popularity was at a heightened, you know, early some years ago where I, we could play Sade on the yard and the girls were running to a pole and twirling on it as early as three years old. So wow. we, so it, parental discretion and we must have the conversations as to what lyrics and what behaviors does impact student behavior. And once we have those conversations with parents and, and staff members together collaboratively, then those are, then we can decide what artist comes back and how they come back to present themselves to the school. What happens in situations where there might be a contingent of parents that clearly the children are exposed to that, they're okay with it and you shouldn't necessarily question it. And then the other parents are like, maybe not at this age, maybe not yet. That's not appropriate for my child. How do you sort of navigate that space? So uh, what I would do is if we have the art, meaning playing the music or having the artist come to the Both. school. Okay, so definitely I wouldn't play the music. I would not uh, because of the content. But I would have the artist, the artist could come back and maybe give God, give the conversation on entrepreneurship or following your dreams or pursuing your passion and how to, you know, navigate out of high school through, you know, whatever the career may be. We're talking about rap and music. So maybe the industry, I would make sure that both sides of the parents are, or groups of the parents are satisfied. But in the medium, it's about sharing, the, having the students connect with the artists. It's about associations and they associate in there. And it's a relative, related, related artist for the students. 
Okay, when we come forward, I will have some more pop culture educational questions to talk with Dr. Ayana Davis with. We're also going to touch on some of the hot and trending topics that we have out there. You are listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't forget, if you want to call in, 800-920-1580. Hit up the socials, KBLA 1580. All that and more news and News and sports, yes, are coming up when we come forward. Shout out to Andy for taking it back to, I think, this is what, 88, 89? I know it's Moni and Love. Moni in the middle. Where's she at? In the middle. Yeah, Moni in the middle. Okay, okay. I feel you. The Native Tongues, that was what? Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Queen Latifah, Moni Love, later leaders of the new school. I think we had that conversation a couple weeks ago. Shout out to that. Shout out to Angie, always keeping us hot up in here. So I think that's an it. This video featured Moni in a classroom setting. So I see the connection. I see where you're going, Andy. You know, Andy keeps us lit in here. So kind of on that topic, we see a lot, as far as with social media, we see a lot of videos of students reacting badly to their teachers, to educators. Is that something that you see currently in school or that you've seen an increase of? And do you think that it's a thing of social media influencing that behavior or is just that it's amplified because we now have social media to distribute it? So interesting that you brought this up. So there's this TikTok challenge where students will have a fight, not to fight one another, but to gather the administration, and then they all jump on their administrations. So this is happening. Wow. Yeah, and they're posting. So part of, because I sit in as one of the negotiators for our contracts for the Associated Administrators of Los Angeles, so right now we are asking for some contractual language that protects us when we are out on illness or when we, we've been vi- victims of violence because of students' behavior. Like they're fighting, we're breaking up fights, but you know the intention is not for us to break up the fight, it's for them to jump on us, on the administration. So this is happening. This is happening right here in L.A. and on our middle school and high school campuses right now. So what do you think, obviously you mentioned that you are putting language or trying to get language put in to the contracts and situations like that, but are you or do you feel that you are getting assistance from the parents in some of these junctures? Because I know that the parents can't be everywhere and we all know, we remember, we were kids, what would happen when kids would get with kids and, you know, sometimes it's not just because... They're bad kids, you know, peer pressure, they hype each other up, whatever. But do you think that it is the same regard from the parents now for their children's actions? You know, I don't want to put, you know, teachers versus administration because I love teachers. I was a teacher once, but the community and parents, they oftentimes have a lot of compassion and empathy for teachers. What's happening is that school leaders, assistant principals, principals, some coordinators on campuses, we're oftentimes often not valued or protected. And because we are appear to be administration, we're often told that that comes with the job. That's the job you signed up for. 
And we get that from the district and also from parents. So, no, I do think that the community should, you know, have a closer look and have more thought provoking conversations regarding the safety and the um, treatment of school leaders. So, okay. As things have transitioned, as you watched the development over the years in various positions and formats, right? We were talking earlier off air a little bit and Trent brought this up about your early entry, you know, what your dissertation was on Mm -hmm. and sort of the challenges you faced there. So Trent, I'm going to pass it to you because I thought that was a very interesting conversation and it touched on some, the more things change, the more they stay the same because Mm -hmm. there are still some of the same microaggressions that were happening then in sort of a different manner that have continued forward. So Um, what's a two part question? Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your dissertation on? And did you face any challenges when you presented your dissertation to the board? My dissertation was on the knowledge, skills, motivation, and organizational factors that teachers need to support black boys in public preschools. I did not get any um, true pushback from the my job from my board no I did not get any of that I did my dissertation through USC so I was very supported through USC because the research was really good to to see what's going on with black boys in public preschools because they were as early as three and four feeling isolated ostracized getting expelled suspended Mm. and but what was heartbreaking for me is the data when I was interviewing teachers and when I was doing data collection on their assessments, some of the descriptions that the teachers were calling three-year-old students, a menace to society, future gangbanger, you know, uh, very uh, disturbing behavior, hard-headed, you know, just a bully at three. So, you know, I had to take all those notes and observe what was the trend as early as three and four years old, these were the descriptors for black boys. What, seeing that information and those descriptors, what do you do with that information as a black woman, as a black you, a black mother, an aunt, like, and you know, know firsthand what it is like interacting with you know with your nieces and nephews on the regular, and you know that it's completely opposite of what they're labeled. What do you do with that? So, as a mother of a son, a black son, because I could not go in and you know directly like these weren't my schools they weren't my schools i couldn't do the research at my school so i couldn't go in and just say hey i need to start teaching these students teaching these teachers because it came with biases and people have implicit biases you know the media where the schools were located in the inner city and low-income areas where we did see fathers who were affiliated in gang environments so because we may have a father who appear to be affiliated with a gang um the teachers may already automatically assume he's going to be a future gangbanger mm. you know what i mean so these are and these were teachers of color i was going to ask that that was <laughs> going to be my next question mm-hmm. were these because you said that it was inner city schools so immediately i thought are these our own so to speak or mm-hmm. maybe you know in solidarity poc 
and we have the layers that can play into that or were they others but you answered it so is that particularly heartbreaking for you when it is sometimes one of our own so it was yes and what was most heartbreaking for me is that it was female women teachers and the men teachers had different experiences and they were um, diverse men who I interviewed and they did not have the same experiences with boys because they were boys. So they knew, you know, how to teach a boy. And I can identify with that. I was a teacher in D.C. Um, 2018. And my experience was completely different because as a man, I walk into the room and number one, they don't see it that much. So they're automatically like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> and then two, you kind of just command the attention of a room and they don't really don't try it. So it's a completely... It's a completely mm -hmm. different experience mm -hmm. for sure. Well, Definitely. when we come forward, we're going to have more on that. We're also going to talk about another similarity between the two of you that I just realized. So all that and more, you're listening uh -oh. to KBLA Talk 1580, RSVP with Jill Monroe. Now back to more captivating conversation on RSVP with Jill Monroe. Jill Monroe. You are tapped back into RSVP with Jill Monroe right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We give you all the trending topics and hot headlines in entertainment, sports, culture, and lifestyle. I do have some breaking news before I go on with anything else. I want to let you know that the billion-dollar Powerball jackpot, there is a winner. Uh-oh. One ticket has won. In Los Angeles. Oh, oh wow. Lord Jesus. So, oh, Lord. check your tickets. <laughs> Somebody in LA, one ticket has won the billion dollar Powerball. It's me. So, I, that is what I said beforehand. I was like, it's me. I don't know. I just wanted to share that with everybody. Well, um, wait. I'm, I'm looking to see what the numbers are because well, I, I'm going to know if it's me. <laughs> well, while you are looking up the numbers, I also wanted to share. You know share, what? I had a lot of these numbers. I, I made a connection between the two of you. Oh, yes. did you? You were considering going to law school. That was your intention, right? At mm -hmm. one point in time. Mm -hmm. Trent, who spent time as an educator, also was considering going to law school. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so, you know. There's an interesting story behind that, too. There's a lot of synergy happening yeah. in connection. Right. There, there, it, it is a lot of synergy and connection. Um, I'll tell you off air, but okay. it, 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 it relates to why I asked you what year you graduated, too. Okay. Yeah. So, that's nice. We like to share that. So Yeah, she knew my cousin. Hopefully, we're congratulating somebody in here or, you know. I hope so. Here. hope it's me. Anyway, so we were talking about, you know, the microaggressions that are faced, some of the things that you deal with being a black woman in education. We also talked about some of the successes. So for you at this current time, what are sort of the things that you would like to see implemented within your scope of reach? Hmm, that's a good one. I, you know, right now, I am so focused on um, work environment and safety, mental mental health, self care, and wellness for those individuals who are providing instruction and care for students. We cannot keep functioning in environments where our our employees are getting sick on the job dying in the office of heart attacks cancer stroke at by the age of 40 so i really am into right now how to make sure that the school leadership position is protected 
valued, respected, and that we are, you know, collaboratively working together to make sure we're staying healthy emotionally and mentally and physically. Okay. I like that. Mm -hmm. So kind of in not wrapping up, but in winding down. So what for you has been your most crowning achievement in education? Let's see. For me to get past that dissertation, for me to earn the doctorate degree, that was, and let me tell you a quick story. So when I attended USC undergrad, I had that imposter syndrome. I really felt like I didn't belong there. So I didn't shine. And I was used to being, you know, a person that was involved with student leadership and student government and, you know, from elementary school through high school. So I kind of shrunk down in USC. So when that second time around, when I got my doctorate, I was back with a vengeance. So I got involved in everything that supported doctoral students. I was an ambassador for the program. I agree. It was it was my comeback, you know. So that was an achievement for me to know that I belong and that I was able, capable and I thrived in that setting. And secondly, I think one of the most important thing is that I have I believe with my maturity and now that I'm not a novice administrator to be a mentor. I think mentorship is underrated. Absolutely. And pulling other novice, you know, administrators up or teachers who are trying to sit in the seat that I've been in. That's most rewarding for me right now. Absolutely. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So you have to tell us where we can find you at on social media so we can see more of these intriguing conversations and just see what you're doing. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Ayana Davis. Okay. LinkedIn, Ayana Davis, Dr. Ayana Davis. So before we let you go, were you about to say no. something? Okay. Before we let you go, I did want to ask you something else. So social media, we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about it as far as students. How big of a distraction is it, not just for the students, mm-hmm. but for the administration at this point? Because a lot of them are entering education. They might be younger. They've grown up with it. So do you find that both ways it's sort of maybe in different um, aspects, but that it is an issue on both sides. I can speak for some information I just learned over the past weekend when I attended a conference with CAPSI, the California Association of Black School Educators. It was a de-education of black girls. So what I've learned is how social media is adversely impacting black girls' image, imagery and body shaming body shaming adultification of the black girls and how this phenomenon of wanting to alter how they look and how they feel about their appearance is overwhelming and is really um, impacting their student achievement their socialization their esteem and their self awareness it is it is it's hard it was sad it was heartbreaking for me and so do you think that given that example right of how deeply it's touching do you think it extends to adults in some ways as well unfortunately I do yeah I do I do I do I think that we're getting caught up I do um so last question before mm-hmm. I let you go as an educator right do you think is the phone 
one of the biggest barriers to attention span, like good <laughs> education. Like, re- I mean, I think about we had distractions, you know, we had some things, but not like this. And so I would imagine I've seen how some kids can get if you try and put them on punishment or take away their phone. So what I would I would imagine being in an educational environment that heightens even though they know that it's not really a place for it. So you, of course, you put out the norms of the classroom and, you know, here's the rules of engagement. But some innovative teachers have figured out a way, like, okay, I can't fight the phone. I'm just going to join the phone. So, you know, you can play games, educational games. They can actually do surveys through their phones in the classroom. So if you can use the phone as a tool of engagement and instruction, that's the win right there. You know, it's to, you know, to fight it, you just want to join it. and make sure that you, they're utilizing it and leveraging the technology in, in every way. And that could be a way to keep the student maybe on the phone because now it just, it's a comforting just to have it there. Right. But they're engaged in classroom instruction. And that's innovation. And that's the type of teachers that we need that mm-hmm. will take things that are meant to hurt us, to be deficits, and turn it around and use it to spread that message and broaden our students. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Ayana Davis, for joining us. I love the conversation. When we come forward in a bit, I'm just getting you guys ready. Just getting you ready. Andy always gets panicked when I say that too soon. I'm just getting you ready for what's coming up in the next hour. We're going to talk Carly Russell and what happened with that case a little bit. We're going to get into some I told you shows because we mentioned last night that there might have been some inconsistencies as far as her case has gone. And now, obviously, it's opened up. And the concern is it going to impact the next person of color that is going through a situation? They say it won't, but will it? We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about John Amos and what is happening with the alleged elder abuse and the terroristic threats and arrests that are going down with all of that. We're also going to talk about what happened with Issa Rae. She may have been throwing a little shade in an interview at one of the most popular female rappers right now. We're going to let you decide and discuss that. We're also going to get into Shannon Sharp and potentially what his next destination might be. We aren't sure, but there were some hints that were dropped online. And we're going to get you ready for the Late Late Show, the Late Stop with these Tubi reviews. And I, what I will say about that is that I have to question some of your recommendations. I still want them, still send them to me, but we're gonna talk about quality. We're gonna talk about what you consider watchable. We're gonna talk about what makes something good, what makes something okay, and what makes something just kind of worthy to pass the time around. We're gonna get into all of that. But before we do, Trent, what have you been keeping it real about today? Wow. You know what? Let's see. What have I been keeping it real about today? Um, you know what? It's interesting. I, I, there was a lot. Yeah, I had to, re- <laughs> I had to replay my day, you know, you know, back. There was a, a few things. I, I started off very early, um, completely rogue, um, hot and heavy. I just walked into somebody's office at first thing in this morning, no coffee. And I said, look, you can't trust everybody that, that you're talking to. And they might come with, you know, a carrot on a string. You can't, don't eat the carrot, walk away, do what you got to do. And just walked out and and left. So spirit led you to walk into someone's office this morning and give that message. First thing, no coffee. 
right. Hot and heavy, locked and loaded. Walked in, walked out, and scrambled the man's day in his office and left. Went back to my office and said, "Hey, this is what we're, this is how we're starting it off." All right. Pow, pow, bang, bang, baby. Pow, pow, bang, bang. When we come forward, we'll get into all of that. Thank you, Dr. Ayana Davis, for, for joining me. us. Tell us one more time where they can find you at on social media. I am Ayana Davis on IG. Thank you so much. I'm follow you on IG. News and traffic are up next when we come forward. All that and more. You're listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe on KBLA Talk 1580.